Hi, thank you. And um, Rev Rosenzweig and I are going to be working as a tag team uh, this morning. What I would like to do is to really analyze what is the Tanakh implication? What were the implications in the commentators who are commenting on the Tanakh? How did they use the Rambam's views on tshuva, on repentance? And then we're going to see, can you use the framework that the Rambam presents for tshuva to analyze a bigger arc of the individuals and characters uh, in Tanakh and use that as a template for what does it mean to develop, to really transform, to become you know, the great leader that uh, you really you know, should become, and to see that as also uh, a reference and an exemplar for uh, us in our lives today. So, as Rav Rosenzweig uh, said earlier, the Rambam is really the first to systematize and organize the laws of uh, tshuva, and was the template used later on to really analyze, oh, if this is tshuva, then anyone who's doing tshuva has to re really be doing um, X, Y, and Z. So I would like to highlight some of the ideas, right, that the Rambam presents, and then we're going to do two different things. We're going to see in the Radak, Rav David Kimchi, who is a commentator on the uh, Tanakh, but really only what we have that extends till this very day. We find Sefer Breshit, the book of Genesis. We have it on Navi, and we have on Tehillim and Divrei uh, Hayamim. So we're going to see just in Sefer Shmuel, because we have a short amount of time to uh, work together, to see, oh, did Radak use the ideas of the Rambam when he discusses or when he is analyzing and commenting on someone who is doing tshuva? And then the next thing, as I said earlier, we're going to see it as uh, a bigger arc. So I just want to give a little historical uh, context. The Rambam lives from 1138 to 1204, Rav Moshe ben Maimon, and he starts in Cordova in Spain, and he ends up in Fostat in Egypt. And his writings really disseminate very quickly, even during his lifetime. So when we're going to analyze the words of Radak, we're going to see that Radak, Rav David Kimchi, is from 1160 to 1235 in Narbonne in France, and already we have the Rambam's uh, works and views really very widely disseminated, and there's already a controversy uh, about the Rambam, and Radak was a staunch defender of the Rambam, and we're going to see how he uses the ideas and views of the Rambam uh, in his uh, perush, advancing the Rambam's view of what teshuva is. So that's going to be our uh, first goal. So I just want to highlight, there are sources, I hope everyone has them, just to see some of the uh, ideas of the Rambam, and Rev Rosenzweig really did such a detailed job, but we're just going to highlight uh, some of them in order to see, oh, the language that Radak uses and the big ideas uh, that we have. So, yes, there are sources. And, of course, Rev Rosenzweig just spoke about it. When we start in Hilchot Shuva, we see that Hilchot Shuva, it's a mitzvah say, and one of the main things that the Rambam really advocated is this idea of vidui, as Rav Rosenzweig said, was really very um, revolutionary. So vidui is really a very important part of tshuva. We see that in the 
Koteret, already in the introduction of the Rambam. We also see in Halacha Aleph that a very important part of tshuva, of the repentance process, is that you're in the same situation and you don't do that sin again. You really have changed. You transformed. You had the opportunity, but it's not from fear that you're afraid to do it. And it's not from a lack of ability, but you're in the same situation and you don't behave uh, in the same way. And again, what does the Rambam show? We're in Halacha Aleph. We're in, uh, sorry, we're in Perak Bet. We're in source number two in Halacha Gimel. That again, when you do vidui, you have to really say all the things that you are not going to do because if you say vidui, but it's not really genuine, then it's like going into a mikvah, but you're holding uh, a sheretz, you're holding an impure bug in your hand, and it's really not purifying you. So it's not really genuine. It's not, it's not complete. You have to say what your sin was, and you have to really be detailed about it. In Halacha Dalit, I'm still on number two, we're in Perak Bet, and what's one of the ways that you do tshuva? You're crying out to Hashem. You are really pouring your heart out. And you're trying to be as far away as possible from the sin that you did. And you change your name. And you really have to change all the actions and really change your attitudes to do something better. Because sometimes going into exile really gives you a chance to think about yourself and to be on unsure footing. And that is also helpful for tshuva. I'm going to number three, the Rambam in Hilchot Tshuva Perek Zayin, and again, Rav Rosenzweig spoke about this, is that tshuva is not only about a very specific sin. It's about a general approach. You want to change your attitudes and also some of your general behaviors, and you want to work on yourself to become a better person. And that's really one of our goals, to become better people, to really change some of our habits or some of our attitudes that are really not ideal. And the last piece that I would like to do from Hilchos Tshuva, again, we're still on number three, we're in Perek Zion, Halacha Vav, is that even if you are so distanced from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from Hashem, you can really become close to Hashem through tshuva. You are distanced, you feel exiled, you feel separated from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You feel hated practically. Look at the last few words. Emesh hayazes sanui, you were hated by Hashem. You were despised, right? You were someone who can't even be close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But today, v'hayom hu ahuv v'nechmad karov So tshuva is so transformational that you could be so distanced and really disgusting in the eyes of Hashem, and then you could be someone who is actually beloved and close to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And I wanted to bring one other piece from Hilchot Deot, where the Rambam speaks about um, giving tochacha, really rebuking, and that rebuke is a very important part of um, helping someone who sinned. Rambam doesn't have it in Hilchot Shuva. In Hilchot Shuva, you really see it more as a self-motivated process. Uh, and it just seems like, okay, you can make these decisions and you could do it by yourself. But what we see in uh, Hilchot Deot is that the Rambam says, if you see that your friend sinned or is going in a bad way, 
it's a mitzvah, you have an obligation, it's a commandment to really help them go on the right path and to tell them that he's sinning and that really will help him. To give rebuke. So we see these uh, laws in the Rambam. Now let's go to Radak. So you have to remember, Radak is writing um, his Perush. He's also, as I said, one of the staunch defenders uh, of the Rambam. He's right after the Rambam's time. Again, that shows us how widespread the Rambam's views are. But again, as Rav Rosenzweig said, the Rambam's views are revolutionary. And also the importance of vidui that the Rambam puts front and center is really something that the Rambam changed how we view things. And again, you don't realize it until you see the influence uh, in other pieces. So I wanted to bring a few pieces by the Radak. They're all going to be from Sefer Shmuel or Sefer Tehillim to show you the impact already right after the end of the Rambam's time, while he's still alive, and right after uh, his death, when the Mishnah Torah really was disseminated, we see how impactful his views are, even in Perush HaTanach. So let's look at uh, number five. We're in Shmuel Aleph. We're in Perek Zion. And what I want to show is that Radak really highlights the language of the Rambam in his explanations of what does it mean when you're doing tshuva. So let's see. In Shmuel Aleph Perek Zion, Shmuel is bringing everyone together to the mitzvah to have them do tshuva. And he says, oh, I'm going to daven for you, Tashem. And he gets everyone together. Pasuk Vav, they pour water. They really pour their hearts out before Hashem. They fast. And they all say, Vayomru sham chatanu Hashem." We sin to Hashem. And then Shmuel judges them. Look what Radak explains. What does it mean that Shmuel judges them. And it says the general words that everyone says, we sin to Hashem, chatanu Hashem. But Radak very carefully explains this, that Shmuel was able to punish everybody according to their specific sin, kisham hitvadu avonotehem, because each one did vidui on their specific sin. So he was able to punish them specifically. So even though it just says in the Pasuk, they said, chatanu Hashem, Radak wants us to know that that is vidui. You can't have that kind of tshuva without vidui. So let's see in one of the harshest uh, sins that David does, and that is the sin of David and Bacheva. Look at number six. Natan Anavi comes to David and he gives them the parable of the rich man and the sheep. And when David hears the story, finally, what does he say in Pasuk Yud Gimel? Vayomer David el Natan chatati Hashem. Again, I sinned to Hashem, which again just could be a general statement. He hears this and he says, I sinned to Hashem. Vayomer Natan el David gam Hashem hevir chatatcha lotamut. Hashem also is forgiving you. He's um going to pass over on the sin, but we're going to see what that means. So Radak explains, what does it mean, the words gam hevir? So David says, chatati Lashem, I sinned. And the Navi says, gam, also Hashem passed over your sin. You're not going to die. You're not going to die right now for this. So Radak explains, gam Hashem hevir, gam lerabot al viduyav, which means it's not enough for David just to say, oh, I sinned. He had to give a vidu. He had to really give details of what his sin was. So Radak wants to make sure we understand. David just didn't say, oh, yeah, I sinned. He had to give a detailed 
וידוי of what his sins were. כלומר, כמו שאתה מתוודה, just like you're admitting to Hashem, Hashem is accepting your tshuva, v'hitvadotecha, meaning and your vidui. We would think from the words of the pshat, chatati l'ashem, he's doing tshuva. But no, Radak wants us to understand it has to come with the vidui. So we really see the impact that the vidui became something very central, even though in the Tanakh we don't have that language necessarily in this case. Even though, of course, we have in Tanakh a lot uh, of the idea of vidui, and of course, um, we have the Kohen Gadol does it on Yom Kippur. We have the idea that a person, you know, should do a vidui. But the fact that this language has to be used when we're talking about tshuva is definitely uh, a reference. Lotamut, you're not going to die. I'm on page two, and I'm doing the end of number six. Even though you're obligated, you really deserve death penalty. If you committed this kind of sin with Bacheva, you really deserve death penalty. Hashem accepted your vidui, right? Your um, vidui, and you're not going to die. And the Rambam has in other places, we just couldn't list everything, that vidui will not always erase your punishment, but it will change uh, maybe the punishment, and it will augment it in a certain way. So that also is very important that we see that Radak is hewing very closely to the Rambam's ideas. Now we're going to go to Tehillim. In Tehillim, we have a parak about David's um, really vidui, or his prayer, his davening to Hashem, after what happened with Batsheva. So look at number seven, Tehillim Perek Nun Aleph. Natan, as we know, comes to David and asks, and, you know, tells him that he did this, you know, terrible sin. He gives him this parable. And then look at the beautiful tefillah that David does. I'm just going to say some of the highlights. First of all, David is asking for tahara to have really a cleansing and a purification. He did this terrible sin, but he wants purification. He wants to come closer to Hashem. Because, I know my sins. I see my sins opposite me all the time. But Hashem, I still want you to give me a, a heart that is going to be pure and rejuvenate me. Don't throw me away. Right? Don't take away this special holy nefesh, neshama, that I have, that spirit. And we know that we say this in Shema Koleinu, so the words of David, we use this in tefillah uh, on the Yamim Noraim, one of the strongest tefillot that we have. And what does Radak say? Look at Radak. Again, what is uh, Radak saying? That this tefillah to Hashem, to ask him to forgive him, and I want to come closer to you, only happened after he did that vidui that we saw in Navi, that we saw in Shmuel, which means Radak wants to make sure you cannot even daven to Hashem about forgiving you before you actually do vidui. And again, what is Radak saying? I'm always regretting this, and I always feel bad about this chet, which means every year we still do teshuva, and we say vidui about sins that we already did uh, vidui in the past, because we always remember that we did that, and we have to 
do vidui even on the things that were in the past. But al tashlicheni, what does Radak say? Ke adam hasanui umetuav. He's almost quoting the Rambam, where the Rambam said, we all saw it together, that, oh, when you're sitting and you're full of sin, you're like someone who is hated, despised by Hashem. And what does David ask, says Radak? With love. So we see very clearly how the Radak is really implementing a lot of the ideas and language of the Rambam uh, in his uh, perush. And I just want to give one more. And these I'm showing you about very specific incidents. In Shmuel Bet, Perakaf Dalet, we all know David counts B'nai Israel, and you're not allowed to count B'nai Israel. We're very careful not to count individuals. But David does, and look what he says. We're on number eight, and he says, Vayomer David al Hashem chatati me'od. I sinned terribly that I did this. And um, then, of course, he meets God and Avi, and he asks for Hashem to bring punishment because he'll want to be in the hands of Hashem. But look at Radak's explanation. What does it mean when he says chatati me'od? I feel terrible, and I am doing charata, right? I want to ask forgiveness, and I have regret about it because I want Hashem to really um, forgive me. So again, we see this, these ideas of charata and the language that the Rambam uses. We see that in, the, in Radak. So, so far we showed, oh, in Radak, he is really using this, the ideas and the language of the Rambam to explain what tshuva is. And we see this with David, and we saw this with Shmuel when Bnei Israel uh, were doing tshuva. We have other examples, but I just wanted to really highlight a few. What I'd like to do now is to show that the way the Rambam really develops tshuva programmatically in Hilchos Tshuva, and this idea where he writes about Tochacha, and also in his Shmone Prakim, in his introduction to Pirkei Avot, where he really writes about the idea of um, making sure that you have good um, attitudes. And not only that, but that you are careful uh, about the habits that you create. And that really it's a process. Because on one level, when you read the Rambam, what could you think? Oh, you know, this happens, you say a few words, and the process is immediate. What I'd like to show is that we many times, and I'm going to use it in this example for uh, David, is to show that we can use this template of the Rambam, not specifically in the uh, language, like Radak does, for specific events, but to see a whole arc of one of our great leaders, which is David Amelech. So not even saying, oh, we're specifically speaking about the sin of counting B'nai Israel, or the sin with Bacheva, or the sins that B'nai Israel did. But what about your personality, right? The Rambam speaks about what is tshuva. Tshuva is also a development, a transformation from certain habits, certain attitudes, certain ideas, and really changing uh, who you are. So I want to show uh, in, um, you know, the personality of David how this can be used, like the general ideas of the Rambam, that we then look at characters in Tanakh and use this bigger program that the Rambam really uh, advocates and see if we can also use it as a way to understand, right, change in characters, uh, individuals in Tanakh, and I want to use it with uh, David. The first time we meet David, I'm on 
9 and Shmuel Aleph Perak Yudzayin, we meet David, um, we, we meet him a little earlier when he's anointed uh, by Shmuel, but we meet him in his first action that he does for uh, Am Yisrael, for B'nai Yisrael. We see it in his interaction with Goliath. And the most important thing that we see with David and Goliath, look at Pasuk Nun. I have it on the bottom of page two. And that is Vayichazak David Minaplishti. Right? David gives a beautiful speech and he tells um, Goliath, you're coming to me with weapons, but I'm coming with the name of Hashem. And David actually is stronger than Goliath. How is he stronger than him? He only has a slingshot. And David doesn't even have a sword in his hand. And Goliath is coming, and he's a giant, and he has all this armor, and he's coming with a huge sword and weapons. And David is able to defeat him. And the way the um, Navi speaks about David is v'cherev ein biyad David. And David has no sword. And what we're seeing, go to number 10, we're on page 3, we're seeing that David becomes a great leader for Am Yisrael. And the women all come out and sing that he is the hero. And Shaul is very upset. And Shaul wants to kill David. And as a result, David has to decide what's he going to do. He has a plan. On Rosh Chodesh, they have a meal. And David says, I'm not going to be at this meal. And uh, see if your father is going to be upset. Because Shaul, every time he sees David, tries to kill him. So David says, oh, I'm going to see if I could run away. And I need your help, Yonatan, and they make this plan. And in the end of this meal, Shaul even tries to kill Yonatan. He tries to kill him with a spear. And what do we see? We see that um, David has to run away. And when David runs away, he runs away to Nov Ira Kohanim. He runs to the city of the Kohanim, and he asks Achimelech, who's the Kohen Gadol at the time, and he asks him for food. And he says, I'm doing a job by the king. And he's really lying, which means this is the first time that we find that David is lying. He's under pressure, and he's lying, and he's saying, oh, I really came under the guise of the command of the king, but he didn't. Also, what does David ask for? David is going to ask for the sword of Goliath. What was the whole issue with David in the beginning? We said, oh, the cherev ain't biad David. The whole thing is David doesn't have the sword, and he gives it to the nov irakoanim. He doesn't want to go around with Goliath, Goliath's sword. And the whole idea is, oh, David is speaking in the name of God. He is a great warrior, but he's not using Goliath's sword. But what do we see? We see now a, sl- a slippery slope. David is now going to really deteriorate slowly but Surely he's under pressure. And what does he do? Not only does he ask for food and he lies that he really wants it for his men, he's also asking for the sword of Goliath. He's asking for the sword of Goliath. And after he takes it into his hand, he says, In He says, the only sword that I would have is the sword of Goliath. So here is David now looking for the sword of Goliath. We see he's not completely open and honest with the Kohen Hagadol. And who's there that day? Doeg HaAdomi, one of the um, leaders from Shaul's camp. And he's going to then go back and tell Shaul that David was helped by Novira Kohanim. And we know that Shaul is running after David because he's jealous of him. So in this clash, how is David going to behave? And then David has to run away to Achish Melachka. He runs down to the Plishtim. We're in the end of number 
10. We're still in the same Perak and Perak Kafalaf. We see this deterioration all happening in Perak Kafalaf. And he runs to the Plishtim, and he can't even be in Eretz Israel. So this is a kind of, uh, this is a kind of galut for David. And he also has to change how he behaves because everyone knows that here is the great hero that is saving Am Yisrael. So David is running away and he's getting pressured. And the question is, how do we act when we're under pressure? And he leaves from there and he goes to Marat Adulam, I'm in number 11. And he goes and he leads these 400 men. But what kind of 400 men are these? These are people who have issues. These people who have pressures. And he's with this band of 400 men, and that already reminds us a little. Esav also was coming to meet Yaakov with 400 men. So we see this slippery slope that David is on. And not only that, he goes to Moab. In order to run away from Shaul, he goes to Moab. And we all know where is David's lineage from. It's from Ruta Moaviyah. And what's the whole point of Ruth? She leaves Moab, and she cleaves on to Hashem, and to Naomi and Am Yisrael. And she is his right? Great-great-grandmother. But what we see here so interestingly is that David goes to Moab. So David, again, is really getting into this bad place. And he stays in Moab thinking he's going to be an ally. And then God Navi, the Navi has to come to David and say, you can't stay here. You have to go back. But the Pshat doesn't say that he took his family. And Rashi very interestingly quotes the Midrash that what happened to to David's family when they were in Moab, they were all killed. And only one sibling survived, as Rashi says. So what's fascinating here is that David is really um, going into a bad place. He starts out as a great individual. That's why he's chosen. But he is really not that great leader that Shmuel actually anointed and not the same one who really had this connection and this confrontation with Goliath. And not only that, we have the whole city of Nov is going to be destroyed. Look at number 12. Perekaf Bet. Shaul tells Doeg, who was there the day that David got all this help from Achimelech, and he tells him to destroy the whole city of Nov. And here for the first time, what do we see in Pasuk Havbet? Some kind of consciousness by David. David says to Eviatar, also the only survivor from Nov Irakoanim, who is from this beautiful priestly city, Yadati, I knew that that day Doeg is there, and I knew that he was going to tell Shaul, Saboti Bechol, Anuchi Saboti, I'm the reason that your whole family was destroyed. Stay with me, right? And anyone who wants to run after you and kill you is also going to want me. They'll have to go through me. So what's happening here? This is the first time in this whole development that we see that David is already having some kind uh, of an understanding that he's responsible for all these actions, which means he's really somehow responsible for what happened to Nov Irakoanim, but it's not direct. He might be responsible for what happened to his whole family, right? According to the Midrash, they're all in Moab, and then we don't hear about any of them anymore. But he's not directly responsible. So what can David do? He could say... These things happened, but it was beyond my control. I'm not really directly responsible for these things. So we see a kind of development. Yes, he's starting to understand that he should be responsible, but we don't see a full reckoning. Look at number 13. We're moving on with David, and we all know this famous story. David comes to a cave, and Shaul happens to be uh, in the cave. Now look what all the friends and the 400 men that he's hanging out with are saying. Pasuk Dalet, we're number 13, the men of David say, this is the day you're going to destroy your enemy and do whatever you think is right. And what does David do? He takes the sword, 
right? And he goes, but he only cuts the coat. Turn to the next page. He only cuts the coat of uh, Shaul. But afterwards, David's heart is really, um, you know, bothering him. And he is conscious, is bothering him. And he says to his men, oh, we really shouldn't um, do this. No one is allowed to touch the Mashiach Hashem, the king. So again, we see a certain kind of awakening of David knowing his actions, but he still took the sword and he still cut off the coat of the king, which is really not allowed because the king is still the symbol of all of Am Yisrael. And look what Radak says here. Vayach lev Davidoto, number 14. Chashash belibo shema yachshov Hashem lo avon. Chashash belibo. He's not doing tshuva, right? What is he doing? He's wondering, right? So again, he's in the process of tshuva, but it's not vidui because he's still wondering if he did the right thing. And he criticizes uh, his men. His men, according to Radak, want to kill Shaul, but he pushes them back. But we see in the language, once David meets Shaul, we see in Pasuk Yudbet that Hashem should judge. When he sees him, he says, Hashem should judge between us, and Hashem takes care of enemies. And it I really shouldn't kill you. Hashem will take care of everything. And we see in Ralbag, though, that Ralbag in number 16 explains it's not so simple. It could be that when David takes the sword, he had the intention to kill Shaul, but it just didn't work out. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing, on the one hand, David developing in a certain way. We see also, though, that his conscience is starting to bother him, and he's saying the right things, but we don't know if he's going to follow through with all these actions. And we see that happening in number 17, when David is really watching all of Naval's sheep, and they're very successful, and he says, I want you to pay me for this. But he didn't have a contract with Naval, and he is just saying, look, all this um, success that you have, I watched everything that you have, and you owe me. But Naval says, I don't owe you, we don't have a contract, and we didn't you know, decide that I was going to pay you for all the things that you did. Yes, you know, you did all these things, but I don't owe you anything. Now, David, if he's thinking carefully, would say, oh, I really tried this. It's really true. I did all these good things. You know, he's not paying me. And the well-thought-out attitude would have been, okay, I am going to pull back and, you know, maybe try to, you know, get money for my men another way. But what does David, he gets very angry. Look at Pasukut Gimel, we're on number 17, Pasukut Gimel. David says to his men, wear your swords. Everyone wears their sword. David also wears his sword, and he goes with 400 men. So what we find here is that instead of David, right, coming to a point realizing that I shouldn't um, really come aggressively and really kill everybody in Naval's household, or I should really think about this, we see that till now David was rationalizing, I wasn't directly responsible. And he's not able to defeat some of his enemies. And all of a sudden now, when he has this opportunity, because he didn't take the opportunity earlier to really admit completely that he was... Um, you know, maybe responsible for what happened to Nov and maybe responsible for what is going on, that this rationalization really might have led to this kind of action. And here, what does David want to do? David really wants to kill all of Abigail's family and Naval's family. And what we find here, which is fascinating, go to page five, is that um, David tells to his men, he swears, that he wants to destroy all the males in Naval's family. And 
that would actually be David with forethought committing murder to kill Naval. It's true that he didn't want to give him the money that David felt that he deserved, but he didn't have a contract. It really wasn't something that he absolutely um, deserved. And to kill for that would be really a, um, an unforgivable sin that David would never be able uh, to do tshuva from, to wantonly kill uh, an individual who didn't give him uh, what he wanted. And David is confronted by Avigail, and she really confronts him in a way and explains what are his values? Where does he come from? How did he destroy Goliath? He destroyed him with uh, a slingshot, with his words, with how he spoke. And just because Shaul is running after him and he feels pressured, he shouldn't act the way Shaul does. Shaul's not learning from his lessons. Shaul constantly just wants to kill David. But David should learn from the past, from his experiences. And he shouldn't now come in a situation where he's going to spill innocent blood, meaning David should reflect on his actions and she should realize in what direction does he want to go in the future. So Abigail's confronting of David giving him tochacha, as we see that the Rambam speaks about, gives David the opportunity, look at Pasuk Lamed Bet, Vayomer David la Avigail, Baruch Hashem Elokei Yisrael, Asher Shlachecha Yom Likrati. Meaning, I'm really giving a bracha to Hashem that you were sent to me. Because if you would not have come, I would have really killed um, everyone in your family, or at least all the males in your family. And you really are the one who helped me resolve this. So here we see that David is admitting, David realizes he almost committed this terrible murder, and Abigail, through her tochacha, really stopped David. But what we know is that Shaul keeps on saying over and over again, oh, you know, I realize I'm not going to do this, and he still sins and does the same thing over again. What do we see with Rambam? That the way to really see if you did tshuva is if you're in the same situation. Look at number 20. What we see in number 20 in Perekavav is that David comes into the same situation. He sees Shaul, and Shaul is really helpless. He's on a mountain, all his men are around him, and everyone is sleeping, just like Shaul was in the cave. There, David cuts his coat. With Naval, he wants to kill all of the men in Naval's family and really just commit murder because he's upset that he is not getting what he thinks that he deserves. But here is David. Shaul still wants to run after him, and he's camping around because he's on his way to kill him. But look at the difference here. Here, David and Avishai see what's going on, and Avishai says to David, oh, here's your enemy, same language that we have in the earlier parak in the cave. Here's your enemy. Do what Hashem is really giving you. He's right here. Just kill him. But here, David doesn't go with his sword. He doesn't even cut his coat. He gives the speech and he says, before we're going, we're even planning this, that I am only going to take the um, spear and I'm going to take the jug of water, which means he's in the same situation. He could kill Shaul. Shaul is totally vulnerable. And David not only doesn't do it at the last minute, he doesn't even go with his sword. And he gives Tochacha rebuke to Avishai saying, what do you think you're going to do? Because he just had rebuke from Abigail, but we see that it really had impact. That here, what changes and what differentiates David from Shaul, Shaul is constantly being told by his son Yonatan, by everybody, David is really a good person. Don't go and kill him. And Shaul keeps on running after David. Here we have the proof. But here what we see is that David only takes the 
water, the jug, and the spear doesn't even touch uh, Shaul. And in the end, when they have their speech, remember David said, oh, Hashem should take care of Rishaim. But really, David felt, I'm going to take care of Rishaim. I'm going to take care of the evil people. He wanted to kill Shaul, right? But he doesn't. He, originally, then we see with Naval, he was going to come with all his men and to destroy uh, Naval. But after Avigail spoke to him, we see that the inklings of tshuva, of the thoughts, of the consciousness that David has, are now really becoming more solid. And only once he tells Avigail, yes, right? What well, you're telling me, if you didn't come, I would have killed them, is a full admission. Before he's keeping on thinking, maybe he's rationalizing because Shaul is a rodef. He's running after him. Maybe it's only um, really self-protection. But with uh, Naval, it absolutely wasn't. So that helps uh, David come to a full realization. And what we see in um, the end of number 20, right? Vayaker Shaul it called David. Shaul recognizes the voice of David. And he says, David, is this your voice? Giving him again this speech about, oh, Hashem will take care of things. But in the end, Vayomer David Koli Adonia Melech. What does he say? Yes, it is my voice, which means David gets his voice back. He gets his ability um, to realize and to admit um, in what he did. And in the end, um, what we see is that why is David such an important leader? Because we find that when David has another situation where his own men are ganging up and want to really um, practically kill David because they were out fighting the plish, with the Plishtim, and when they come back to their city, the city is burnt. And all the men, the 400 men, right, are upset, actually it's 600, are upset that their women and children are gone, the city is burnt. And what does uh, David do? They go and they... Uh, capture all the women and the children and all their possessions because miraculously uh, they were all saved even though the city was destroyed. And David is able to rebuke his entire group of men. So not only one man, Abishai, who goes with him, but now we see David is really a leader realizing that you have to stand up and you have to give rebuke and you have to make sure that you are in a leadership position and really taking charge as opposed to just following uh, everybody else. And it really goes uh, in a different direction. And that's why in the end, David says that we're not only going to give the spoils to those who are fighting, but we also give to those who stay back, which means David really um, finds his voice. So what we see here is that the bigger piece of tshuva, we saw the details, how Radak really uses all that language to explain specific areas and um, places of tshuva in Sefer Shmuel and in um, Tehillim and especially with David. But here we see even in the bigger arc, the idea of self-realization, uh, the idea of exile, the idea of being you know, uncomfortable, of making mistakes, but being able to really look at them, to do tshuva, and it's not only for specific acts, it's really for a whole attitude, and you have to be in the same situation, and you have to admit, and then you really can uh, develop, and that's why David is really one of our great leaders, because it's not just about, oh, you never sin. You sin, and it's not just, oh, you said the right words, and then right at the moment things change. But we also see in the bigger arc of David what made him such a great exemplar for us of tshuva is that we see that there is this process. And another part that we see in this process is the importance of 
um, a kind of tochacha, but Abigail gives it in such a gentle way in the sense that she's reminding him of who we are. So I think in addition to our own self-realization that we have to go through uh, during this time we're in Elul and we're coming to Aseret Yimei Tshuva, is also listen to the good voices among us. David also has some other bad voices among uh, his group, but to listen to the good voices among us who really give us good advice, to help us ourselves by letting others uh, help us as well to really achieve this great tshuva that you could be so distanced and so far from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and yet really come so close and be the chosen one and someone who is really a great exemplar. Thank you very much.